you to take your seat this evening. And uh, yes, I have always loved that scripture we began our service with from Psalm 18. To the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the pure you show yourself pure, and to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. And so, as I prayed, translation, shoot straight with God, he'll shoot straight with you, play games with God, and he will play games with you, and he'll outsmart you every single time. And so, the last few chapters we've been seeing uh, that he's been busy outsmarting Joseph's ten thug brothers, as I like to call them. But they are, are fast becoming no longer thugs, but they are getting right with God because God has turned up the heat and he is uh, acting quite shrewdly with them. You'll recall, of course, I call them thug brothers because of what they had done, victimizing Joseph when he was only 17, brutalizing him, selling him to trade uh, slave traders, and uh, who essentially kidnap him and take him off to Egypt. And they tell their dad, uh, poor Joseph, he was mauled to death by some vicious animal, you know, and so... Uh, Joseph is a straight shooting kind of guy, and so he's been faithful to God uh, despite terrible, unjust sufferings over and over again, and God has been faithful to him, exalting him there in Egypt, now equal to Pharaoh himself. And uh, how about the crooked brothers? The Lord has been shrewd. He has entrapped them around every bend, and put them through a series of mishaps, masterfully manipulating the circumstances of their lives, holding their feet to the fire to help them take responsibility and see in their suffering uh, the connection to the sin that they committed 20 years earlier, to confess it, to repent of it, and so be reconciled first to him, and then healed relationships in the family. That's how it goes. So after a, a series of nightmare circumstances over the last couple years, actually, uh, they admit it. And they say, and on a couple occasions, we get it, we get it. We're suffering now because God is dealing with us. He's revealing uh, the sinners that we are and what we did to our brother Joseph. And they've said it on a couple occasions. So they've confessed, well, what about repentance? Well, we saw that just at the end of last chapter, uh, the ten have been dealing directly with Prince uh, Joseph. They don't know it's their brother whom they victimized uh, a couple decades earlier. Uh, they don't recognize him. Of course, we've been talking about this. He speaks Egyptian. The last time they saw him, he was a junior in high school, 17. Now he's 40 clean-shaven all the way, adorned with all the Egyptian royal regalia, and so they don't recognize him. And so they confess to him, what can we say? When he says, explain yourselves. Why are you guilty here? Uh, caught you red-handed. They say, well, there's no other explanation except God has caught us red-handed and we are paying for our sins, implying the sins we committed against you. Joseph, and he knows that. And so uh, the final test, and then we'll dive in, that shows us that they actually did repent is, is that Joseph gives them a choice. You, okay, listen, I got Benjamin here. 
He's going to be my slave for life. I'm not even going to kill him like I said I would. And I'm not going to hold you guys like I said I would. You guys go home to your father, live your happy lives. But I got Benjamin. It created a very similar situation. Are they going to opt to save their own skins and throw Benjamin, the favored son, the other one, quite like his full brother, uh, Joseph, under the bus uh, and then just go on their happy way and make up some other story about the second boy? Or are they going to do a little uh, love, have a little compassion and sacrifice? And that's exactly what happens. Judah is speaking for all of them. He says, take my life instead of his. Let him go home. Uh, let him return to his dad because we love our dad. We can't see him suffer like that. And we're all staying. And then bingo. Now, Joseph's been able to maintain composure, uh, but those days are over because <laughs> it's time for the big reveal. Verse 1, chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cries out, have everyone leave my presence. It's very gruff and sounds rude <laughs> in Hebrew. It's like, away with you, all of you, go away. Uh, so there was nobody with Joseph, when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly, the Egyptians, who were surely pressing their ears to the door, uh, heard him. <laughs> Wherever they were in the compound and Pharaoh's household heard about it. You know people will talk. Verse 3, uh, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? <laughs> but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. <laughs> oh, I want to see this on video. When we, get, when we get to heaven, there are a couple scenes in the Bible that I'm going to ask God to light up the sky with and just show us, you know? And uh, yeah, so the big reveal note takers, Joseph can no longer control himself. Why? He doesn't have to. He knows they're different. They've confessed, they've repented, they're right with God. And now he's ready. He's worked through. <laughs> he said 23 years to work through a lot of his own issues. And so uh, he doesn't need to maintain uh, the composure anymore. The shrewd dealings of God have, has made the crooked straight. And his kindness has led them to repentance. And so, by the way, when they're suffering and... Uh, in, in all of their pain. Uh, Joseph's not happy. He doesn't take some kind of sadistic joy through all of this, the last few chapters, putting them through the ringer. In fact, he kind of breaks away and cries when he sees them upset. Uh, but he knows that God is dealing with them. And he knows it's necessary. So, uh, so, but he's sad about it. You know, uh, it's, It kind of reminds me of the Lord and the nature of God, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 33 says, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, God is the only one who can honestly say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, you know, as a parent. And uh, it's the heavenly father that who disciplines every child he receives, Hebrews 12 and verse 6. And so it hurt Joseph to see them, uh, but he is feeling better as they are responding. <clears throat> so 
Uh, really, he knows serious soul surgery has to happen before complex family um, reconciliations can happen. True repentance from the heart, you know, instead of just saying, as I've said before, oh, sorry, you know, sorry I stole everything, you know, sorry I emptied your bank account, you know, sorry I smashed your car, you know, whatever, you know. It, it's got to be deep. They've got to feel it. And so... Uh, yeah, the surgery's complete. They're in the recovery room, <laughs> right? And a blurry figure stands before them and saying, I'm Joseph. <laughs> so one blink of an eye, the truth, the it's sudden, shocking, and surprising. They knew him as uh, Zaphnath Paniah, the, the, the lord of Egypt, the harsh, all-powerful ruler. And suddenly... The big reveal here, uh, it's just shocking. And they're, they're, they can't talk. They can't speak. They're just frozen. And, 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 of course, all the commentators point out this is very much like the big reveal that's coming uh, with Jesus Christ appearing. Uh, Joseph tells his brothers, I am Joseph. And the true Joseph, Jesus, will tell his brothers, the Jews, I am Jesus, his Hebrew family. And the whole world. Jesus appears at a second coming. The context for the second coming is not to show uh, the whole world. He comes in the context of revealing himself to his Jewish brothers. Because they're surrounded in the apocalypse and they cry out for salvation. They cry out to their Messiah. And Jesus, King of Kings, Revelation 19, appears not to the whole world per se, though every eye shall see, but in the context of revealing himself to his brothers, just like this is the prophetic prophetic foreshadowing. And so uh, that's an amazing thing. I've got Zechariah 12 and verse uh, 10 and following here. And I will pour out my pour out on the house of David, Israel, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. I'm going to give them the ability to, uh, to, uh, to cry out. That's what supplication means. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn my people, my brothers. They'll cry. They'll be upset. You know, they'll understand what they did, and so. But he comes uh, to save them, and so. And when Jesus appears at the second coming, the church appears with him. Uh, we will not be looking up at the second coming. We'll be coming down with him. As amazing as that sounds, the two private revelations, uh, I should say, for Christians. For those who are ordained to eternal life, as Acts 13 and verse 48 puts it, uh, first Jesus will, God deals shrewdly with all of us unbelievers, though we were destined to come to know him. And uh, the gospel's preached and his kindness leads us to repentance. I once was blind, now I see, right? And so most of us, like the thug brothers, God had to deal with us shrewdly, right? And we, when we were at odds with him, he drew us to a place where we would believe. And then he said, I'm Jesus. And then we responded, and a new day dawned, like with the Apostle Paul. Who are you? What's going on? I'm Jesus. That's what he does. That's how everybody in this room who's saved has had a moment where the figure before you is, wow, 
and he introduces himself uh, to you. And the next big reveal is not the second coming for us, the church. It's called the blessed hope. It's the rapture. Verse Thessalonians chapter 4, starting around verse 16. We who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Why does he do that? He does that because the church is not appointed to wrath. And what he has coming for the earth, the last seven years, will bring an end to human history as we know it. Therefore, that particular wrath, we, are, we have an exemption for because he paid for our wrath. And so he comes as a thief in the night. That will be the revelation. There will be a trumpet sound. Maybe the whole world hears the trumpet sound, or maybe only Christians. Who knows? Uh, but we will be uh, uh, gathered together with him. So for the brothers, they're staring at Joseph, and he says, I am Joseph. Hearts are pounding, eyes are popping out of their heads, and their jaws are on the floor. And the word there, unable to speak. And then uh, again, uh, I love this. He says, hey, it's me. How's dad? Is he really still okay? You know, he's been asking the whole time. But now that he said, hey, it's me, we can stop playing games. I'm speaking Hebrew now. No translator. It's the real deal. Let's talk. Tell me. How's dad? Just an amazing thing. Is he still alive? Or were you just saying that? Right? So, but the cat has got their collective tongues. So we have got 11 cats for 11 (laughs) brothers and 11 tongues. And so the shock of trying to make the mental leap from all-powerful Egyptian ruler living in the lap of luxury, snapping his fingers and people bowing and running and all of this, uh, going from that image to their kid brother who grew up with them in the fields there in Canaan, in the very fields they tried to kill him in. So surely (laughs) they're connecting the dots. This is the one we brutalized. Whoops, this is the one (laughs) who we pushed. Was it which one of them pushed him in the cistern? Which one of them? They're all going through, you know, uh, what they said and the attempted murder of Pharaoh's right hand man. Verses four through eight. The fear is unnecessary, brothers. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Wow. And now, don't be distressed. Don't be so upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. I'm going to give you the key to a happy life here and save you hundreds of dollars in therapy. (laughs) Because here's how I think about it. It was to save lives, actually, that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, they'll not be plowing and reaping, but God, not you, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth to save Israel and to save your very lives by a great dramatic deliverance. So then, bottom of the story, for me, my, the way I see this, it wasn't you, but God who sent me here. Yeah. Now, may you and I whisper in our hearts a sincere prayer that God would allow us to catch this truth and to let it go deep 
and change our lives. Because if you get it, your life will never be the same. And uh, it is so elusive of a truth. You'll have it for five minutes, and then it goes out the window. So let's talk about it. Perhaps the most life-changing truth in the entire Bible right here. A theology by which to live. So trusting the sovereignty and providence of God over every aspect of your life, over everything that happens, especially the troubles that others are responsible for. Let me repeat that since you look dazed and confused. (laughs) Trusting that God has allowed everything to happen to you, especially the bad things, that God had a good purpose and has a continued redemptive purpose for allowing everything. So it's not men, good or bad. It's not fate. It's not circumstances. It's God who's ruling over your life. Now, once you have that, and unless you have it, there'll there'll be no easy forgiveness, no reconciliation, no mental health, no emotional well-being, and certainly no spiritual maturity. Everything hinges on this worldview. And most of us don't have it. With this theology, forgiveness is possible, reconciliation going forward, the secret to get rid of the poison of bitterness and anger and resentment. He says, this is how I choose to see the terrible things you did to me and all that pain and sorrow. Here's how I really see it from the bottom of my heart. Isn't that had nothing to do with you at all? So if it had nothing to do with you at all, really, technically, God knows. It's God's department. He knows and holds them responsible. But from his point of view, for his mental well-being, for his spiritual maturity, he's choosing to say, I'm not focusing on the true practicalities that it was your hands that actually did it. I'm looking past you to a good God who had a good purpose through your meaning harm. That's what he's going to get to. That's my choice. There was a killer famine. He decided to send me here. He used you to do it, to keep us all alive. Long story short, it's not you that sent me here, but God. Now, it's a slippery slope, you know? Don't lose your balance here because (laughs) the deed will never be justified. Never. And he will hold people like Pilate accountable for Pilate's decision, even though Jesus told Pilate, it's not about you. You don't have the power. Make your choice. You have free will. But heaven's calling the shots here. Pilate, because Pilate keeps saying to him, you know, don't you know who I am? I've got the power to release you. I've got so much control over you, Jesus. He says, no, you don't have any. See, that's not how we see. I'm not mad. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This is a bigger plan. It's the Father's plan, you see. So this is what's going on. He'll never condone. And those men that did the deed, should they not have repented, they're going to pay. So it's not like, yay, God was behind it. Everything's cool. No, there are repercussions when we sin in this life and in the life to come. The the guy who repents next to Jesus on the cross 
still going to die. He's forgiven. He's going to paradise. He's still going to die. You know? So don't get all encouraged. Oh, I can sin. I can actually do the thing, and God will bring something beautiful out of it. That's foolish. That is just foolish, but it's right up Satan's alley to tempt somebody in a study like this to say, see, it's not so bad. Oh, yeah. How about losing some, forfeiting some of your eternal reward? Because as a Christian, you knowingly uh, squandered your faithfulness. The Bible says you, you will be dinged. Your account in heaven will be dinged. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. So, so we take a look at these things knowing that, okay, God can take the worst thing that's ever happened in human history, the cross, and make it the most beautiful. He can do that. But those men who did that, and everybody sin who contributed to that act, should they not repent, will be held accountable. And so he just has this way. Joseph's motto is this. Hey, listen, God can allow and use what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And what he loves is to save people when they're in trouble. And so that's what's going on here. And so now uh, he can quit blaming them. Listen to this. He can quit blaming them and begin praising God instead. He can stop focusing on them and start thinking, wow, God, you're amazing, and I'm thankful. This is what's going on here. I gotta, I can't resist. and I know I'm going to run out of time, but you know what? At least I get to say this part. In 2 Samuel 16, to take this another a step, David is fleeing Jerusalem from his crazy egomaniac, power-hungry son, Absalom. Absalom's trying to kill him. So he's on the road there, fleeing over the Mount of Olives. And on the side of the road is one of uh, David's longtime enemies, some little pipsqueak guy. And he's throwing dirt and gravel at David. And, and, and he's cursing him. He's saying, you're getting what you deserve, punk. You know, like, yeah, run, run, run away. Uh, sorry, I'm sure he didn't say punk. But he might have, right, Joe? Don't you think? All right. And so, so David's bodyguard says, give me one shot. I don't need two, just one. I'll slice his head right off. What clean. It'll be clean. We'll just go on. You know, David says, stop. He goes, look, my own son's trying to kill me. How much more of this schmo? Schmo is Hebrew. It means... <laughs> schmo is literal Hebrew. It means jerk. Sorry. <laughs> How much more of this guy? So he says, no, no, no. Don't kill him. God has told him to curse me. What? Oh, that was delicious for me. Just to see the attitude of David, whether he's right or not. Who knows? But he's going to say, look, it's not about him. It's what God is allowing. And maybe God wants to humble me. Maybe there's something in my life that has to happen here that, that it needs even him to curse me. And for me to learn how to bless him. 
I need to grow. Something's got to happen, but God's behind it. So just uh, beautiful. So he tells them, stop being uh, uh, upset because God's used it for good. Okay, uh, 8 through 11. God made me father to Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh loves me so much. He's got like he looks to me to guide him. Lord of his entire staff and household and ruler of all of Egypt. In other words, I'm just as powerful as Pharaoh. Guys, to his brothers. He's talking to his brothers. Can you believe this? Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt, dad. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the regions of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everything you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be wiped out. All right. So from big surprise to big changes, call the movers. They're moving south to Egypt or so. Uh, the, the proposal. So, yeah. What was the happiest day of your life, if you can just stop and think? And I already know there's some people in here. I don't have any happy days <laughs> in my life to choose from. And I can tell you the saddest day. <laughs> okay, so it's an easy question for Joseph to answer, and it's coming, and it'll be, <laughs> I'll read back to my dad and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. He's made me Lord of Egypt. So the son that he thinks is dead, who he, he had to imagine for 23 years that he was mauled to death. How did that? How does it feel to die one bite at a time? You know, uh, thanks to the thugs who put that in his head. Um, you know, so not only is he alive and never been mauled. Somehow he's reigning and <laughs> ruling pretty much the entire world. So uh, good news gives health to the bones, and he's about to get some good news. And uh, good news will, will um, there's some bad news as well, because Jacob's going to say, how is this possible? You know, you, you brought me his robe, remember? You brought the robe, and it was bloody. So how did he end up in Egypt if you brought the robe that was bloody? Where'd you get the bloody robe? Well, Dad, sit down. <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> and so they have to tell him, and they do tell him because he knows. He knows. We'll find out he knows. He knows every detail. Why? They told him because they're right with God. I really, they're right with God. And when you're right with God, you take care of everybody, the collateral damage as well. So you go to them as well, and you make it right. You confess uh, what you've done, and you apologize, and you make restitution. Uh, verses 12 and following. Come on, guys, you can see for yourselves. <laughs> and so can my brother, my full brother, Benjamin, the only uh, really, uh, yeah, his only real full brother. That is that it is really I who am speaking to you. Now tell my dad about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen. Don't leave anything out. And bring my father down here fast. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. Uh, they were, he was uh, about 11 when Joseph was kidnapped. 
They were buddies. They were close. He was 17. His brother was 11, you know, and then he disappeared. And he had to look at the bloody cloak and think, my brother got eaten by some mountain lion. So you can see the weeping. Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over all his brothers. After his, uh, afterward, his brothers talked with him. I love, I love the last uh, verse there. So from big changes coming down to big tears. Not surprisingly, verse 12, he, they need a little bit more convincing. I'm sure that went on for a while. A very telling insight here. Tell my dad about all the honor afforded me, according, accorded me in Egypt and uh, everything you've seen. No matter how old you are, especially for a man, uh, you want your dad to be proud of you. And um, tell dad about all the honor. Tell them the amazing things you've seen. The pavilion I live in, the servants here, uh, the runners who go before my chariot. Guys, when I get in the chariot, there are runners out, and they're running. Make way, shouting. Make way for Prince Joseph. Bow the knee. And then they're like nudging each other. Remember the dream? Remember the dream? Bow the knee. Oh, yeah, we've been bowing to you for like four chapters now. Um, yeah, so don't forget about my beautiful princess wife and, you know, the Pharaoh's gold signet ring uh, gleaming on my finger and, uh, you know, tell him, Dad, Dad, the dream came true. His dad heard the dream and his dad said, hmm, taking it to heart. Because his dad is a prophetic guy. He took it to heart and he said, are we really all going to bow down before you? Are you going to rule over us? Tell him, the dream came true. It's true. I am going to rule all over all of you uh, in a good way, you know. He's not rubbing it in. So true healing, he kissed and wept over everyone. None were, were excluded. And, and like I was saying, some are more guilty than others in this. Maybe there were a couple brothers who weren't really in the field at the time. And there were brothers who actually threw him down. And there were certain mouths that said the more hurtful things. But he didn't hold back and, and love most of them. He, he just loved them all, forgave them all, because it's a day of rejoicing, and it had really nothing to do with them in his heart. It had everything to do with God's providence. And so uh, a lot of soothing relief there in the tears and healing a uh, little bit of taste of heaven I have down here. Uh, lots of terrible things uh, that Christians do to other Christians. It's unbelievable. As you know, you may be the one who have, has done some of that damage to somebody. and Or you may be the one who's received it. Horrible. Unbe unbelievable evil things that sometimes are more evil than what an unbeliever would do. And they're going to heaven. Possibly. Maybe not. Maybe they're just saying they're a Christian because anybody would do that. It's got a question mark over their head. But there'll be a lot of people like King David who did evil, evil things and hurt and upset people's lives and they're in heaven. However, when we're in heaven, everything will be fixed. Everybody will own what they need to own. Everybody will say 
what needed to be said. And everybody who needed vindication will be totally, perfectly vindicated. All of that will be worked out. And as I told you before, some of the guilty parties, they will, their, their accounts will be dinged. Loss of reward. You do not perish. We are not judged in a judgment of condemnation, but for rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So it's important how we live as Christians. We both just think we all get saved and we all just go to heaven and everything's cool and everybody could just live whatever kind of level Christian life you want. Oh no, God's paying attention. I love that verse 15. And after the dust settled, they talked together. So they just sat around. They had a lot to catch up. They're probably a wonderful conversation. We imagine, you know, who? well, who's married? You know, how many kids you got? Who's got the most kids? You know, who makes the most money? Just kidding. <laughs> They're siblings. They're siblings. You know, what happened with that neighbor kid? You know, or tell me that, you know, one of them says, oh, how about the time? Joseph, you know I believe this. <laughs> Simeon left the gate open and all the ghosts got out and ate through the whole front yard of our neighbor. And, you know, you know, we're still talking about it to this day, even though you guys don't find that amusing. <laughs> I thought when he told me about it, I was like, whoa, Simeon. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, verse 16. I'm praying for deliverance right now. Verse <laughs> When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. However, they wouldn't have been if Joseph didn't say to all of the attendants, get out. He did that to protect their reputation because they're moving in. And had Pharaoh, who will not have the grace, or the attendants who will not have the grace that Joseph will have, hear what kind of thugs they have been to, the one they love and adore and look up to. Yeah, things will not be right. They'll always look at them wrong, Pharaoh. So that's something to think about. <clears throat> Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me, king. <laughs> I'm going to give you, me, king, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Even though right now, uh, slim pickings, but verse 19. You are also directed to tell them, do this command. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your stuff because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Wow, I know. So we go from big tears uh, to a big move, note takers. And I have written down here, moving on up. All right, now, I did that on purpose, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because my wife said to me the other day, I've been noticing you're quoting a lot of songs in your sermons. And I said, I am not. And so I did it again. <laughs> But it's true, I have been. I've been noticing that too. But how could you not? They're moving, so it's moving on up, right? Uh, the Jefferson sitcom. Well, we're moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky, moving on up to the east side. We finally got a piece of the pie. Oh, well. <laughs> from, 
from the dust. I wasn't trying to sing. From the dust bowl of Canaan to Egypt, which is still dusty. But when your brother is equal to Pharaoh, you're moving on up no matter what the weather conditions, right? So Pharaoh's happy. Why? Because he loves Joseph. Now look at the analogy. The king Pharaoh, for Joseph's sake, loves Joseph's thug brothers. God the Father, for Jesus' sake, loves Jesus' thug brothers. (laughs) I hate to put it to you that way. (laughs) But... We're the thug brothers in the story. We've seen the light, we got right, but uh, God had to act shrewdly with us and hold our feet to the fire. Some of those fires were still uh, pretty warm, inling them. Uh, so, yeah, um, take the covered wagons, load everybody up. No need to worry about your household items because the homes we provide in Goshen come fully furnished with Egypt's finest. So one writer said, working hard for people of influence is wise and brings with it great reward. Verse 21. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts and Pharaoh had as Pharaoh had commanded. And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. Man, this just goes on and on with this favoritism thing. Verse 23, and this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, love it, don't fight on the way. (laughs) That is one of the sentences that makes it ring so true. It just makes the story, I just know this story happened by that one sentence. And so we move from moving, the big move, to big gifts. So uh, the guys get new transportation, they get new clothes. They get treasures of many kind in there. Uh, and food, of course, which is the, the big ticket item in the famine. So, yeah, the blessings are for uh, Joseph's sake, as we already talked about. And uh, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a great American theologian, he said this, to return to Canaan with carts from Egypt was the cultural equivalent of landing a jumbo jet among a tribe of isolated savages. It would be the stuff legends are made of. Yeah, to go into Canaan like that with this developed nation of uh, Egypt with all Egypt's uh, wonders. Uh, So a touching comment, don't fight uh, on the way. He knows the natural inclination, especially his siblings, you know, and there's so many of them. You know, and uh, I could just hear him. What, what, what are they going to fight about? Didn't I tell you? I knew it was him. I said it was him. You know, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, <laughs> you want a knuckle sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of robe did you get? You know, <laughs> Benjamin got five robes. 
Okay. One writer said, the men's hearts are filled with such joy and excitement and relief that Joseph's admonitions are scarcely warranted. You see? You know, I don't know about you, do you if you had one of those dramatic salvation encounters where it just hit you, you're not going to hell, there's a God and he loves you, and now you have a whole new life and the slate is clean. Do you remember that joy where it just, you had no grudges against anybody? It was like amnesty for everybody. You know, I'm so happy right now. Who cares about oh, the worst thing that's ever happened to me? I'm just so happy. That's kind of what I think uh, happened here. And I, I would suggest to you that it wouldn't be half bad to live that kind of life because it's still true. It's still true. You won the spiritual lottery like, like crazy. Eternal life, reigning and ruling on thrones with Christ instead of perishing like you deserve, like I deserve, and instead of getting what we deserve, wow, to reign and rule as a co-heir, a co-heir with Christ. That means technically, if you just look at the phrase, it means everything Jesus inherits is the Son of God equal to God in every way. Everything that belongs to him, we are co-heirs. That means what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. So you better check your bank account and have a smile because <laughs> it's not going to stay that low forever. <laughs> I just dig the hole deeper and deeper. I, let's go on to verse 25 and following. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob. This is my, one of my favorite parts in the story. They told him, Joseph's still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. <laughs> Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent, all that treasure, what is it, 20 donkeys loaded, uh, uh, when he, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the cards Joseph had sent to carry him back, there we go, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, his other name, Jacob, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. That's kind of a negative statement. It's like, can we get going? Because I'm going to die like any second. <laughs> I just know it. I'm going to die right before we get to Egypt. Big gifts now goes to big shock, followed by big joy. So imagine Jacob's face this time, 23 years. He's been thinking his kid has been torn asunder. He's frozen. The word means to be paralyzed. Everything's in slow motion, right? And so two things, and it's prophetic and analogous here, two things help him believe. They told him exactly what Joseph told them to tell him, and when he saw the carts packed with treasures. So the analogy goes this way. The only way people know that Jesus is alive is when we tell them his words to tell them, and when they see the treasures, the blessings packed in our lives that he gave us, right? And so that's just a beautiful little a tidbit there, Jacob's spirit is re revived. I don't know about you, but 
sometimes my wife goes away for two or three days, maybe on a conference, and she'll tell me, don't forget to water the plants. And so sometimes I do <laughs> forget. And, and how I remember that I have forgotten is by looking at them. <laughs> and so I look at them, and they're you know, withered so bad. And I just looked at one once and said, whoopsies, I think I killed it. And uh, uh, so I put it in the sun, you know, and I put a lot of water on it, probably too much. But the next day, I came home from work, and guess what? Whoosh, was restored. I was like, whoa, there's, there's hope for me. <laughs> I still had one more day. So I, I went around and got all of them and watered them. But that's exactly what happened. Uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Chapter 13 and verse uh, 12 of Proverbs there. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So for over two decades, he's heart sick, withered, burdened, drooping in spirit. He didn't really have to be. <laughs> His attitude wasn't helpful. But now it's a longing fulfilled. His heart was like this massive tree, lavish green leaves and loaded down with luscious root. And some of you, I want to say this to you. Your hope deferred may be given way to a longing fulfilled any, any day now. Any day, it could happen. That thing you were thinking, it's impossible. I, I yearn for it more than life itself. And it's within the realm of possibility because we've got a God who can do anything. And you just, you're like, I would just give anything for that to happen. It may happen tomorrow. So he says, awesome, I'm going to see my boy before I die. I'm convinced. Let's do this. So chapter 46, and thankfully it needs, the chapter goes and there's a big chunk of names and so 70 names, which I'll leave for you to read at your leisure at home. <laughs> Especially if you're looking for a baby name, I highly recommend uh, this chapter. So uh, verses 1 through 4, we're speeding through now. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, the southernmost city of Israel, international border crossing to Egypt, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac, who had lived, Isaac had lived there, and so did Abraham, lived in Beersheba for a little bit. And God spoke to Israel, Jacob, in a vision at night, a dream perhaps, and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father, Isaac. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's hand, own hand will close your eyes. Very touching there. So uh, a big, important vision here now, note takers. And so... Uh, so a dream now. Why, why does Jacob need it? Well, because God had made a promise to his grandpa, right, uh, Abraham. And he made the promise about two things. I'm going to give you land, this land, even though it's occupied by the Canaanites. And I'm going to make you a nation, 
even though you can't have kids. So nation and people, right? Promised land. And he's leaving the promised land with every one of the descendants. He's taking them all away. So he stops at the border crossing and he's like, ooh, is this really the right thing to do to take all my descendants? Based on knowing that Genesis 12 says, through your descendants and through this nation, I will bless the entire world. So the blessing of the world is dependent on there being a Jewish nation there. And so he just wants, just, just kind of second guessing. And God says, no, it's okay. The promise uh, to make you into a great nation applies in Egypt. And uh, I'll go with you and make sure you all, plural, uh, get back here. And indeed, he did, didn't he? he was, they were there. They grew from 70 to 2 million in 400 years. So when we check in with them again in the slave pits of Goshen, they are 2 million strong. And so uh, after those years, God brings the 10 uh, plagues to bust them out of slavery and tells Moses to lead his people uh, back to the promised land. And then the sweet assurance, Joseph will close your eyes. So you know what? You're not going to just see him here and there as he runs around serving everybody. He's going to take care of you until uh, uh, your dying day. That's just beautiful. So uh, moving on, 5 through 8, and then 9 through 25 is the list that we're going to, well, you'll just see. Then Jacob left Beersheba. Now he's in Egypt. Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So they're like covered wagons, I imagine. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. They didn't have to do that. He was told not to do that. But, you know, we always, we just kind of were hoarders, you know? And so Jacob, Jacob, gotta have that stuff, you know. That reminds me of that whatever. And yeah. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the so, so we get to verse eight. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. And then there's seventy names. All those who went to Egypt, and then we skip down to verse 26. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. You add plus uh, Jacob and Joseph, then you get 70 there. Okay, so God's work often starts small. My little takeaway here is it starts Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham couldn't have kids. Isaac's wife was also unable to have kids. So we start off in God's plan to save the world really small. You know, so it goes from the Jacob uh, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to 12 and then to 70, right? And Peter, James, and John, 12 and then 120, and then by Acts chapter 2, there's 3,000 Christians in the world, and then there's 5,000 by Acts chapter 5, and now it's been 2,000 years. Don't despise the day of small beginnings, which was a word 
from Zechariah to the guys who were building, rebuilding Jerusalem. When they came back from Iraq, where they were exiled, uh, they laid the foundation. Jerusalem was a pile of rubble. The wall was leveled. The temple, it was horrible. And so they lay a foundation. They start crying. They're like, we're never going to get this done. And the word of the Lord came through Zechariah and said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because with God, and it's in the same chapter, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So you just watch. You, you just watch those five little fish or the five little loaves and the three little fish. This is what God does. And that little thing in your life where you just made a tiny little dent and there's a mountain left. He goes, don't, don't be discouraged by that. That dent, it's a big deal. Because God is going to take that dent and he's going to level that mountain. And so, verses 28. Now we're going to read to the end of the chapter and then we're done. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Uh, that's interesting. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his dad. Yikes. I'm already, I get choked up already. As soon as jo Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his dad and wept for a long time. J Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die. <laughs> he just never gives up, right? I, now I can fall over and have a heart attack. Because <laughs> everybody kind of looked at him and go, Dad, can you say now I'm ready to live? Ah, since I have seen for myself that you're still alive. Finishing up. We can go ahead, Spencer. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. They're here, just like we've been planning. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and their herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what's your job? What do you guys do? You should answer your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. And by the way, guys, shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Why? Why is that? Every culture has something they think is gross and unclean. And to the Egyptians, guess what it was? Sheep. It was sheep. So for the Egyptians, it was sheep. For the Jew, it was pigs, right? And so, yeah, Americans have things that we just find are, no, we can never eat that. And other countries, it's a delicacy. You know, we just, that's the way it is. And it gets uh, swapped back and forth like that. Now, I want you to see how godly um, Jacob is. He stops and asks for directions. Do you remember that? You already forgot about it. So, yeah, back in whatever verse it was. And so, and it's interesting to me, by the way, that Judah is the one who gets the directions and Judah is in the messianic line. He's all the way blood. He's direct blood to Jesus. And he's the one who gets the directions to the land of abundance. Come on, it's everywhere. There's a hundred of them. 
And so, yeah, so we got through to the end here. Uh, the big reunion, emotionally satisfying here. They're weeping and crying. And he's like, okay, oy vey, I could die already. You know, <laughs> and so we close out with this. Here's my takeaway. We could save ourselves a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow and a lot of depression if we would focus on the promise that God has given us. Now, I want you to see something. God has spoken to this man, Jacob, a lot. And here's something from Genesis 28 that happened many years earlier. Genesis 28. At the top of the ladder, Jacob's ladder, (laughs) stood the Lord. And he says to Jacob in this dream, I'm the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're laying on, it belongs to you. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. It's Canaan, right? Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, even though there's like seven of you right now. They will uh, spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. The whole planet is going to be touched by you guys and your children and their children. What's more, listen up, bud. I'm with you. I'm God. I'm with you. I'll protect you wherever you go in your life, wherever you go. One day I'm going to bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. This is the guy who says, Oy vey, everything is against me already. Now, wh- come on, why, why can't you say everything is for me? I had this vision, and I saw this ladder, and God Almighty spoke to me and made these promises. That this is my thing. This is my takeaway. For example, when I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was serious. I sought the Lord, and he did the most miraculous thing. He granted me an experience that I is supernatural, and that everybody I tell the story to, it's a 10. It's like, Amen. wow, that's amazing. Some of you have heard it. So the answer was, you're not going to die of this. So I had chemotherapy, I had radiation, I took a test, and the cancer had spread. I was fine until the cancer had spread. And then I took the promise and I threw it out the window. I was like, so I put myself through a year of back and forth, up and down, a lot of tears, a lot of anguish. You know, once in a while I go, well, maybe that word that God gave me and that supernatural sign that he did, you know. But looking back at it now, 20 years ago, later now, just, gee whiz, why couldn't I have just hung on to that? It would have saved me a lot. And then I start thinking about you guys. You may not have had that particular supernatural experience, but you have supernatural promises from God that say, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. Trust me, the, every little thing that ever happens in your entire life, it's going to work out okay. In fact, every single thing in your life right now is actually your friend. 
and I allowed it, and I'm using it for your good. You should be jumping up and down like James says, counting in all joy, rejoicing and going, wow, God is at work through this painful thing. You see, save yourself some tears and some worry and some anxiety and trust and lean into those promises. Focus on his word and the good that's being worked through the thing. Take the responsibility off of the situation, the person, the boss, the coworker, the spouse, the ex-spouse, the father, the brother. Do I need to go on <laughs> until I hit the one that <laughs> is your problem? The pastor. <laughs> Some of you, you know, it's not, whatever. And then instead of that, focus on God and his love and his good plan. Let's pray. God, thank you for getting us through two chapters again. And all the truths, Lord, there's a lot of them. And we are just needy. We're broken and we're not all the way cooked yet. We're just raw in the middle. And you are, we are a work in progress, God, which you know. So help us to just relax in your presence and trust you and, and let the banner over our lives say God is in charge here. Every little detail is from him and he's using it for good and that we can trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.